Hey everyone, welcome to Punkcast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing, projects discussed on the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Punkcast. Today we're back with Punk 5324 with three Addies. He's got a headband and nerd glasses and the iconic mustache just like me. In real life, he's an award-winning new media and crypto artist, writer and crypto art historian. Please welcome Martin Lucas Ostachowski or MLO to the show. Martin, how are you, man? Very good, Max. Thanks for having me. No, thanks. Um, curious to sort of uh, unpack this story with you. I've been seeing some of your tweets and your posts and it seems like you've been around for a while. So it'd be great to sort of uh, hear about your story and, and how you got to the space. But I guess just for reference for everybody, like um, maybe you can just share a little bit about yourself and your background, where you're based and everything sort of leading up to uh, and before crypto. Sure. So um, I'm Martin Lukasachowski or MLO. I noticed very early on when I started making art that nobody would find me. So I was very glad that I work with my acronyms. Um, <laughs> I guess the first five years I was mostly working as art by MLO until I was able to snag this um, .art domain, which was uh, very convenient because now they introduced like ENTS features to it. So you can actually use an art domain as an ENTS domain, which is pretty cool. So most people know me as MLO and I'm basically a Polish-born artist who grew up in Germany, lives in Canada, and probably retired somewhere else. I uh, was about four years old when I entered my first plane, when my parents basically fled communist Poland. I was born in an area which was Germany before the war, and it became increasingly difficult basically to stay there. Um, So I ended up growing up in Germany, went there to school, and there I basically hit very early on digital art or, or new media. I started working in an agency when I was, I think, 15 years old. Had my own agency about 18 years old. And, wow. you know, I noticed very early that, you know, when, when you're an entrepreneur, it's so much effort to argue with somebody about a design and what a design <laughs> is worth. But nobody questions you when you program a website, right? So I naturally had to start coding. <laughs> And, and the one thing which I, which I really take back from that period is that I had like a, an almost um, punkish approach to like, okay, you know, I, I could do basically things I've never done before in a very short time as a book learner. You know? So I would basically sell e-commerce, have never done an e-commerce, would order basically the same night a book, would read and stay up all night and until I kind of figure it out. So I did that. And then when it came to university, I kind of had a pretty good idea what like graphic design, communication design would look like. So I decided to find something which has maybe a little bit more relationship with economics. So I ended up studying media management, which turned out to be much more management than media. I worked for several years in aviation and decided to go back to school, um, studied international business development. And working there during university, I was working for a company and that company said like, hey, we just bought a company in Canada. Do you want to go over and help with the transition? So involuntarily, basically, or unintentional, I ended up in Canada about 10 years ago, where I still live until today in Montreal. It's been really um, an interesting journey being in Canada, seeing all the differences And I think, you know, it really allowed me to focus or bring back my my passion for art. So I started again working on art really with the intention to exhibit. So I was working a lot with like traditional practices and trying to combine modern techniques like laser cutting, you know, AR into it until one day I basically discovered cryptocurrencies. And I was really fascinated by the technology underneath, 
not as much about the currency aspect itself, but I thought that this technology will be, you know, so pivotal and crucial for inclusion in future that everything kind of came together and I and I started reading up on it a lot. And that was about 2017, you know, with the ICO bubble, got more and more into the space until I, I kind of was actively looking for applications in art. And that's when I discovered fairly early on when these first marketplaces popped up to create basically tokenized art, which, you know, then would end up as NFTs one day. And yeah, that shifted my practice tremendously more digital. And um, here we are, I guess. I still work on a day job. Um, I work for a manufacturing group. And um, the one element which I really like about my day job is I get to travel almost every other week. So it is during these flights where I gather a lot of my material, which I use in my artworks. Beautiful. What type of manufacturing businesses are you are you working in? So they're really like a white label manufacturer for OEMs. In in aviation or? No, it's 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 more like uh, industrial applications. I'm no longer in aviation, but I think my 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 red string, which which is funny, which I only discovered like years later, you know, that like kind of my whole pathway revolves around like traveling and aviation, and my art with clouds, right? It it it's really that link. That that traveling link, which which is kind of like the closest to it, has nothing to do with crypto, which is also very refreshing. <laughs> it's, pro it's probably a good thing in the in this and, bear market at and the grounding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, it it has its ups and downs. Yeah, Martin, what a fascinating background you've got. I mean, you've come from you know sounds like a very early entrepreneurial route at a young age uh, you said you started an, an agency what, what kind of agency was that oh you know like everybody that is like websites and marketing by by the time i started i have been working four years in different agencies one like more traditional one more focused on web so it, it was you know great learning experience um, because my very first job was i was actually cleaning cars <laughs> so when when i started basically you know with graphic design and somebody said like hey you could basically earn double double that money per hour and just sit comfortably in a chair that had definitely some appeal yeah amazing so you were from poland grew up in germany and then basically uh came to canada for work basically you've sort of been there since it's so like where's home where's home for you like where's family and um my family is still in germany I'm pretty much since 10 years in, in Canada during the last, I think, six, seven years in, in Montreal, Quebec. Nice. And um, yeah, there's actually a few German punks that are floating around too. It seems like there is a, a strong sort of punk contingent in Germany as well. And also Canada too. too yeah, there are. Honestly, I have my punk for a while, but it's just recently that I started connecting with the punk community. This year, I attended my first punk brunch in New York, which was uh, quite interesting. And I met some German and Canadian punks, which was quite amazing. Ah, oh, nice, mate. I mean, I want to get I want to get into that with you as well. But like, why did it take you so long before you sort of started connecting with punks? Honestly, I don't know. You know, like typically when I went to these events, I would have like a fairly busy schedule. You know, with like um, trying to see as many exhibitions as I can, probably exhibiting myself, and I kept hearing so many good things about it. You know, like a lot of people. I knew which had punks were always like talking about how welcoming and supportive the community is. So I thought this year, uh, you know, let's give it a shot and see what it's about. Nice. All right. Well, we'll love to sort of unpack that a little bit more, but um, there's so many different ways we can take this conversation. I think you've got a very interesting set of background in the early days around, you know, design, entrepreneurial sort of elements, working through aviation and, and also your, your sort of artistic sort of journey. But and talk a little about your journey then to, to crypto. Uh, I think you sort of spoke about going deep into the rabbit hole. Um, and, and I've had a look at your, I guess, the documentation that you've got around the history of crypto art. And it, and it dates really, really far back. I think I'm like, I think early 2000, first article was 2010. Yeah. But, um, but you were covering Bitcoin and stuff quite early on in like 2012 and, and documenting some of this stuff. At what point did you get, you know, red pilled into a crypto well I, I really came from the art side right like i started making nfts in 2018 really had the focus on 
um, Ethereum in the beginning. And as you, you know, try to unpack more and more, you really discover that there's so much more to it, right? And I guess haven't seen the ICO bubbles going up very close. You know, I kind of had the, the, the focus really on the on the main currencies like Ethereum, Bitcoin fairly early on and, and try to basically be like a sponge and learn everything I could about it, right? But for me, it was always always the art angle, which was the most fascinating. You know, as an artist, I was just curious to see what was done before. While um, it sounds a lot intentional, but really when I started making my first NFTs, I, I kept blogging about it, right? Trying to basically explain the concept that I'm now making JPEGs um, and trying to sell them. And and as I did, I, I had the opportunity to exhibit here in Montreal in 2018 at the Canadian Center for Architecture. They had a call for blockchain artists and I was like super excited to meet other people who are making art with blockchain and Bitcoin. Much to my disappointment, I ended up being the only one. And um, in preparation for that event, I was spending months working on like uh, digital visualizations, right? Like using live data and trying to make generative pieces, preparing an artwork for that event, which was well received. But I discovered after the event that, you know, artists like Ria Myers did something like that four years before me. And I noticed that, okay, if you want to really spend a lot of time on something which you think is innovative and new, you just need to know what happened before. And that really opened up a whole new dimension of what has happened before, right? Because back then when I started, I think I started researching it intensely, like in 2019, I published the first version of the timeline in around 2020, I think it was April or May. And from there on, it just keeps growing and growing, right? It's like you, you discover one event and that brings you another to another 10 artists and, and another exhibition and, and another project. So it's kind of like a, a, a treasure hunt, which doesn't seem to end which is very poorly documented, right? Which is, I think, which is why it's so time consuming to do that is because a lot of the the only trails you find are like in, in forums or, or Reddit threads. So that's also one of the reasons why I'm maintaining that on my website is because we tried with, with some other people several times to build this timeline in um, Wikipedia. But as you might know, uh, Wikipedia is very anti-crypto. So they would just brutally censor everything and just, you know, claim everything. This is not a valid source and then just toss everything overboard. So after a few times, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to post it on my website, do it publicly, but I'm not going to bother with it anymore. Oh, wow. But just out of curiosity, why, why um, I didn't realize Wikipedia was so anti-crypto. Is it, um, so basically anything you try and write on Wikipedia, they just censor and block? I don't know, you know, I think it is in general anti-crypto sentiment because, um, you know, you know, they're fundraisers. They they had, I think, a, a, a vote to not accept crypto in donations, which is kind of mind boggling, right? <laughs> um, just given how many people would have been willingly, you know, and happy to donate a little bit. But I guess it's an overall uh, sentiment. And I think in a space which, you know, is fairly dynamic, which, you know, a lot of the resource, it's not a very well-documented space, right? We don't have like a broad amount of resources or like yeah. publications, which, you know, have some sort of reputation, which would, I guess, qualify to the standards what Wikipedia likes to adhere to. I don't know if it's, if it's like not taking it seriously or thinking this is just a temporary thing or, you know, just is it still the bad connotations from the time it was around like you know, Silk Road, or I really don't know, but I just felt that, you know, the vote to be really yeah. even against crypto donations was kind of revealing to me. And man, I'm, I'm looking at some of your collections on Super Rare, uh, and I think you've got, you've, you've, you've dropped on Known Origin, Maker's Place, I think Art as well, very, very early on in the piece in 2018, you know, way before, two or three years before the crypto bull run actually came along. Um, which which one was your actually first NFT that you actually created? Was that on Super Rare or? It's funny because for a long time I forgot, and that's really because it's so. You think Bitcoin or you know crypto, everything is like documented with timestamps, but the early years of these marketplaces to mint an artwork was not a blockchain transaction. You actually had to send pictures to the marketplace, and they would take care of the minting. 
the self-minting process that came, I think, almost a year later. So in order for me to look at it, I, I kind of assumed initially that it was the, the super rare pieces, but it was actually non-origin. But non-origin had um, the mint basically occurring in, at the sales point, right? So it was like um, tokenized at the moment it was bought. And the pieces which were created were created on the V1 contract, which was later updated by a V2 basically created first on that platform, were dated to the second contract. So you will see on non-origin, there's probably like hundreds of pieces, which are somewhere September 2018. All of them might have been way earlier, but that was just the moment they updated the contract. And there was a blogger or artist um, called Taken Theorem. He unduck basically the V1 contract and created a little tool for people to really backtrack when these pieces were kind of like created on the website as tokens and that was initially um, i think in june 2018 were were my first pieces oh wow definitely super og and um looking at your pieces too they're absolutely beautiful right um, they have beautiful hues so of blue and clouds and i sort of see uh you're, you're collected by some of the real really big sort of names in the spaces so mocha spaces i think i sort of see Digital art chick OMZ, who I've had on here before, who's a huge collector and a real purist as well. Roses Vault, I haven't come across Roses Vault before. Colborn um, from Mocha, Matt Kane, Officiana as well. So, really, really big names, man. So, like, these guys were, were you guys like, what was the community like back then? Was it a small, tight knit community? Everybody sort of knew each other? Because it sort of feels like that sort of community is still collected quite heavily today. It, it absolutely was. You know, we had we had a Telegram group for all the artists, marketplaces, and collectors, and it didn't feel it didn't feel cluttered at all, right? I think I don't know. We were really like 30, 40 people actively in the Telegram group. So my my first pieces were actually trades with other artists, which is you know fantastic if you think about it, because there was nobody collecting our pieces, and we liked each other pieces. So we'd sometimes just say like, "Hey, I like this piece of yours. You want to trade for for a piece of mine?" And then this is how <laughs> basically my <laughs> I, I came to my first NFTs. But yeah, it was absolutely absolutely a very tightly knit community which i think which a lot of these relationships last until today because it was you know we were celebrating with each other right like people who were breaking like the 50 dollar sale you know that was a big event which everybody was just like celebrating in the in the in the group and you know it kind of incrementally grew until it started to you know until it had to be too big but like the it was really an environment where there was literally no collectors, which was artists were the only collectors and then maybe like one or two people who are early on in the space. So, you know, I guess having spent five years with people, you know, there's, there's, I guess, a little bit of a different trust base than people who are just a year or so in the space. Absolutely. I, I'm, just, I'm just looking at um, one of your pieces that was bought by Token Angels for three ETH. Which was three hundred and seventy-two dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> That's super early. It, it was funny. I think um, you know, and I guess we're gonna come to that later. But like, it is also what what ETH was worth in Bitcoin and things like that. You know, this was an entirely different time. Ah, oh, it must have been so nice. Um, mate, mate, it's, so why don't we talk a little bit about your actual work then? Um, beautiful sort of pieces, you know. You know, really strong hues of blue and, and clouds. What was, I guess, what's the inspiration behind, I guess, your art and in particular sort of clouds? You know, it, it all came to me together when I when I started making art and discovered blockchain to to really focus my artwork around blockchain. Right, like I I, I really felt that you know this is this is a technology which will transform our society. So the knowledge about this technology will be f f crucial for inclusion in future, and. You know, that paired with like AI and other digitalization trends will even like push white collar jobs out of the comfort zone, right? So I thought like, I really want to focus on artwork which promotes this technology to the general public. And clouds were for me, you know, the perfect symbolism for blockchain because it was the concept of intangible values, of constant transformation 
it's like international borderless and you know positive attributes as a symbolism which works across cultures as well which is like fantastic as a subject and given that you know me being some sort of a, a nomad you know having lived in three countries and i think by now i moved over 30 times in my life in average i think 1.2 years in one place that is it really makes me feel more rooted to the sky than than really to a geographical space. So it had like these two elements to it, right? You have like this this symbolism, this technical symbolism, and then also this personal connection to the clouds as my subject and my medium. Beautiful. And when you when you're doing these, um, it looks like you're mostly focused on one of one over editions. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of struggling to find any editions that are work. Um, what's, what's your sort of sweet spot? Like, how do you, how are you sort of looking at your collections and both, but yes, mostly one-on-ones and, um, even in, in print, um, I, I used to work with a very small edition sizes, like five or, or, or sometimes, you know, I think that the highest I did was like in, in print was I think 21. I guess I, I always prefer to have, I know I love like to reference even like in little details, you know, sometimes the prizes reflect a date or have like a direct relationship to the piece. But yeah, I think that for me, one-on-ones were just interesting and editions were something which I did less. But I think moving forward, I, I changed a bit my opinion because back then there was this whole discussion about like scarcity. And I think uh, when I first started, I guess a, a strong opinion about like, you know, longevity and like, you know, how much can you tokenize? So I thought like less, less is more. And, you know, I work a lot on, on these pieces. Some of them take two or three years to just gather the material to create them. So I thought, you know, a piece like that, which I would spend so much time on, that should be a one-on-one and not an addition. I guess over time, I, I really came to the realization is that, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it, it was a self-imposed basically limitation this whole discussion about scarcity or abundance you know it it really it's relative right i mean if you, if you think about it i in, in that regard i changed my opinion quite a bit and would rather do more pieces now than less and i think this year is probably going to be the year where i'm going to release the most pieces of, of the last few years just because i have a couple of generative projects coming up and i guess you know you, you got to realize that over time you know, me limiting myself and seeing some friends which follow different strategies and just keep keep pushing it. You know, it's 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 positive to actually have something new to show on a regular basis. So I think in that regard, I changed my I changed my mind and I learned it is basically a self imposed limitation. Yeah, gotcha. And so you you spoke about doing a, uh, a generative sort of drop sometime this year. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit more about that? Is it or is it secret at the moment? No, it's not top secret. I guess I've been working on on a few projects. Like I work very iteratively, right? Like I I, I create a piece, and then as I'm almost completing it, I always think about like how can I make it more intricate or, or better or more complicated, and and try to push myself into something which I hope is is better than the previous version. In that, I kind of tend to work very long <laughs> on these projects. And in 2020, I was accepted on Art Blocks, and I work on the what I think is the final iteration on that piece now. Um, working three years into that piece, going through several concepts, I guess I feel I'm very, very close to to finalization. Nice. So you got accepted into Art Blocks, but you haven't dropped on Art Blocks yet. So this will be yes later this year. Yes, it will be. I, I don't know if it will be later this year, but I'll be submitting, I think, in the next few months. And and I don't know how the pool works. And I think in theory, we're not supposed to talk about it, but, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but, but yeah, I mean, I've been working on that for, for three years, which is quite, quite something. Exciting. Well, so I'm kind of, it is very exciting, but at the same time, I'm kind of also excited that I kind of come to the point where I think like, okay, this is, this is a project, which, which all of the variants are something i'm happy with yeah amazing well looking forward to it mate i'm uh, i'm a big art box fan and um i love the sort of the, the the look and feel of your work so far um just just i guess one, one more question i guess on the artwork before we move on but uh, i mean 
of of all as an artist of all the th- and, and being so early um of all the sort of different mediums for expressing your art i mean why what was it about i guess blockchain and nfts that that uh that was super appealing for you i guess if 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 you work in the in the traditional art world um you see that there's it's a very linear path into the art world right it's a very defined path which you have to take which is which is painstakingly slow and i think what what really excited me about blockchain as a medium for art is that i found an opportunity to sidestep this very very linear path on making basically art as a career in 2019 we we co-authored actually a position paper on the subject on crypto art which was published uh, a year later and and we kind of tried to bring in our ideas back then which is which is quite interesting I, I recently read it again you know like to see our point of views being fairly new to this technology and like full of ideals in 2019 what does it really mean for the art world you know and i think one of the points which which was very striking to me back then is like if you are an, an emerging artist it's very long until you actually arrive to a point where you can actually show and sell your art you know it's it's often a multi-year process until you you know build a portfolio which which you can apply to a group exhibition and then going to be invited to exhibit which is probably one of the first opportunities for you to sell your art and and here you have basically an alternative which which hopefully will prevent that so many people are giving up on their artist practice because it just takes a lot of time and and for many people it's not sustainable right gotcha. so i think that was one of the elements which i thought like this is fantastic because it can really fund early career development for artists got you uh, makes a lot of sense yeah and and obviously you know all 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 the points which i guess are more known you know the idea of like provenance and and for me it was really like I was excited seeing the idea of tokenization as like a vehicle to bring digital art world into the traditional art world. You know, it was it was kind of the paria before, you know, nobody if you wanted to exhibit your art, it was like such a difficulty, but if you wanted to do something with digital art, it was like virtually impossible. And I th- I thought that, you know, this is a technology which 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 might change the landscape. Now, did it really bring digital art into the traditional art world? I would say five years later, no. But at least we created a new set of collectors, and and if you want to, a new, a new part of this market which did not exist before. And I think that that is something which is which is exciting from the standpoint of uh, previously, you know, dominantly physical art space. Yeah. How do you, how do you think the um, traditional art world? looks at nfts in the whole space at the moment for art you know it's 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 hard because there's you know there's there's people who are i guess thinking this is exactly what they expected you know values go down the interest is declining it was just like a short-term hype um there's people who are you know seeing it at you know this is this is just the beginning this can really transform i think reality is a lot of people in the traditional art world still really don't care about it yet you know if you and and i i go to you know contemporary art fairs and and exhibitions there's still such a little overlap with with digital arts and nfts you know that it's like it feels like we didn't really break into this at all you know i think a lot of people are still hesitant you know that is this something which is going to last you know if you if you look at it you know the, the contemporary art market is, is very small in, con- in comparison to like modern art right which is like what almost in the range of like 100 years right so we are we are at something which is nigh hyper contemporary which is basically a fraction of people of interest yeah i think you're right i, I just remember the during the peak of the nft bull run you'd go to like art basel and all these fairs and you'd see galleries trying to come up with their own nfts you know minting collections that you know they were from artists that they were representing and it wasn't it wasn't done in a sophisticated way it was just literally just minting and trying to sell it there on the spot um as part of their exhibition and i think they've just missed a whole big part around the community aspects of it and trying to market it to web3 sort of natives and so there's a lot of hype around it then and everybody loved nfts but you're right as soon as the price went away speculation went away this year when you got art basel if you mentioned that you were in NFTs, 
uh, that that just almost like, give you a cold shoulder. So it's like, <laughs> so you're right. I think there's a, you know, it, it hasn't really, I don't, I still don't feel like we've really, you know, been taken seriously by the traditional art world yet. But um, but I mean, just the recent sales at Sotheby's and Christie's and all those other bits and pieces. Hopefully, um, hopefully there's some legitimacy there, especially for generative art, right? That uh, that sort of breaks through somehow. But I think yeah, we've still got yeah. a bit to go. Yeah, I think, you know, the traditional artwork is very extractive in general. So, you know, it, it looks at, at the elements which are useful for it. And that's going to be, you know, I guess the, the aspect of provenance. Um, I was kind of, you know, and, and I was guilty as well. I was very excited when when institutional players like the auction houses came into the space. But very quickly, I kind of came to the realization is that, you know, they are not adhering to our standards. They're here because they see it's like, you know, it's a, it's a business opportunity and they're here to impose their practices, their standards. They're not respecting basically, you know, the achievements or, or what we're standing for is they just want to be part of the commercial aspects and changing as little as possible. So I guess I'm more excited about like, you know, institutions like LACMA or, or others, which which are, you know, the Centre Pompidou is which which are really putting their toes out and including some of digital artworks into permanent collections and things like that. Because I think that is that is that gives us the legitimacy that we want. And it's not, you know, the 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 multi-million dollar sales which, you know, are like day flies in a newspaper. It is really the 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 institutions which are taking the risk and 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 that is a different legitimization which i think i'm looking forward uh to the most yeah good point yeah well hopefully um hopefully it does transition and and i think you know there probably needs to be a bit more of that uh, traditional art world space coming through you know the some of the curators transitioning from traditional art to to writing about digital art as well and maybe some of the stuff that you're doing as an art historian helps tell that story too because you're, you're right there's probably not a lot of that in the space right so um all good stuff. But, um, yeah, so maybe we'll have a chat about your punk story then. When was your first CryptoPunk that you bought? Is this the one that you have now? Yes, it is. It must have been July 2020. July 2020. And it was about a month after I made my first non-art NFT sale. I remember I had this, this property in CryptoVoxels, which was like a fairly huge parcel. And I put a really high price on it, which was heavily debated in the CryptoVoxels Discord as like a ludicrous idea. Um, <laughs> people were laughing at me, thinking like, what an idiot. <laughs> and, um, and and I was smiling, I was laughing. You know, it's like, what's what's the word? Oh, yeah, he, he just lost sense of reality. But one day I wake up and it was sold. And um, that really allowed me to... Um, expand into other metaverses you know i bought a parcel in in um, decentraland i bought parcels in somnium i bought some art and and i was able to pick up a couple of pieces which i thought you know would be would be interesting to to own and punks back then were you know around the one the, the, the common punks were around the one eth range which back then you know i guess were still kind of expensive, you know, like in, in the sense that n nobody would have expected, you know, where, where it will. <laughs> I'm, 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 look, I'm looking at the timestamp now. You paid 1.1 ETH, which was $256. But you have to, you have to think it in comparison, right? Like I was selling artworks <laughs> for $30. I had to sell a lot of art to, to buy that punk. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's all relative but yeah no i think you know nobody would have expected i guess that, that it happened so fast so so significantly but yeah so why um what, what made you buy a punk i guess it was it was already you know like i heard a lot about the community i think by then i i had the chance to meet briefly um matt and john at an event in new york you know i, I kind of got around it because to be totally honest in, initially i wasn't that interested in them right like i saw them i i guess i didn't fully grasp the concept i i back then i didn't have probably the uh the overview of you know how nfts and and and, and blockchain are developed to really appreciate it for what it is both my parcel i thought like you know what it's it's i hear a lot about the community even though i've never been really part of it 
why not just take the leap of faith and, and just get one, you know? And later on, when I really dived into it and see, and see, you know, like how influential this project was, I was like, okay, that's that was a, not a bad move back then. <laughs> and because um, at that point in time, you, you spoke about that telegram that you were in. It was a very tight-knit community, early 18, 19, and 20. Token Angels, because, I mean, Token Angels is a big punk collector. Um, OMZ is a, a real purist as well. I mean, there was Art Chick, Matt Kane. I mean, all punks and some of them artists as well. I mean, were you guys talking about punks at all or thinking about it in some way? No, you know, not really. I think, and, and back then, you know, I was, I was focused on, you know, the marketplaces. I was spent a ridiculous amount of time in crypto voxels, you know, like I filled galleries almost every every week <laughs> or i read it my gallery my my plots entirely and i it, it was super fun and i think i i spent more time there than in other communities and you know quite frankly i wasn't really a collector back then either right like i was and it, it also shows because when i when i when i bought pieces i bought i bought one you know, like I didn't buy like five in with the anticipation of selling. And that's something I still do and, and probably I shouldn't have. Um, but like, you know, I, I buy it for us, you know, to appreciate it and to own it and not necessarily with, with the resale in mind. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and just um I guess the last question on your punk five three two four mustache, nerd glasses and headband. Um, what was your selection process like? How were you thinking through traits? early on if you, if you remember well you know it it was 2020 right so i i was thinking about like how nice it would be to get the punk with the mask because i thought like you know it was like such a weird time that i felt that would be fitting but it was already in a price range which i was not that comfortable with they were already like pretty pretty popular so I was looking at something or someone which would resemble me. And I used to play this and, you know, I wear glasses, I'm bald and I wear a beard. So it was a very <laughs> natural, very natural um, connection to that punk. And I don't know if you saw it. I sent you once a picture on Twitter <laughs> where I am <laughs> basically right next to my punk. And I think the resemblance is astonishing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to share that in the uh, in the tweet when your episode comes out for sure. Um, and uh, and just looking at the provenance of your punk as well, it looks like it was a uh, mm -hmm. looks like it was a Hemba uh, claim punk as well. So I think you've got it was, that, yeah. uh, sort of lineage towards that as well. Oh, nice. And um, and if money wasn't an issue, do you have any favorite punks that come to mind? I think I think just for the for the time it was and for the time I was interested in, I would have definitely opted for for uh, the mask. I think you know uh, it was yeah. such a important time. I think for crypto, you know, because despite all the craziness we we were experiencing on our streets, it all pushed us digital. You know, it all pushed us into the space. We all found sanity, I guess, in this space. So so for me, a punk with a mask would have kind of really commemorated that period in a way that it would have been nice. I get you. I mean, if you, if you look at it, I mean, it's quite amazing. I mean, this was a collection from 2017 and to include something like the COVID mask, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of creepy, right? In that they had, yeah. they felt like they had a bit of foresight into it. And also the VR glasses too, with the vision mm -hmm. coming out next year um, and the metaverse angles and everything else. And so uh, be curious to sort of think, you know, ask Matt and John what they were thinking when they were creating the collection. Maybe we could get them on at one stage. And, and and like, how do you sort of see punks now? Are they um, are they art to you, or or just a collectible? No, I think they are for me art. They're for me a milestone. You know, I think when I think of the history of crypto art, I I see like I see like a staircase, right, where where things build up on top of each other, and, and that was definitely an important step. You know, which was influenced by others, and which influenced a lot of others after. In in that regard. It, it's probably more conceptual than it is artistic. You know what I mean? But it definitely, I would see it more like as an as an art work than an, an, an a, you know intentional collectible. Gotcha. Uh, that's good. I think most of us are seeing it in the same way. And, and and as an artist yourself, like you know, which kinds of collections or art pieces of art um, in in the NFT space uh, are sort of that come to mind as your as your sort of favorite collection of art like i 
I kind of always appreciated projects and artworks which are artists led. You know, like I I had this discussion with other people that I don't believe in founders. You know, like a founder for me is someone who works on projects, on ideas, right? Who who can pour a lot of sweat and interest and heart into it. But at the end of the day, projects get abandoned, projects get sold, projects fail. And for me, artworks are, which are led, um, or projects which are led by artists, it's the artist behind it, you know? And for an artist, there is no failure. You are the artist, you build your, you know, maybe your entire lifetime to build up your name. And if you release a project, you stand with your name for that project. So I was always more fascinated and comfortable looking at projects which are really artist-led because I felt like here I'm, you know, I'm supporting, I'm investing in an artist and not in in basically a business idea. Yeah, ever more so true in a bear market, right? I think uh, a lot of these projects um, are losing losing a lot of money, probably going to zero. I'm not sure what they, they do with it or where they can go with it afterwards. And I guess all you're left with is, is in some ways, the, the NFT or the artwork, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, even, even as an artist, if it goes to zero, it's still your child, right? If, if these projects run out of funding, you know, like how big is really the community around them? You know, like how yeah. many people are say like, I personally identify with this so much that I support it regardless. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Mm, absolutely. And do you have any, you know, favorite artists of your own that that you like or are looking at? A lot of them, and I, I would I would not want me to get into trouble and mentioning <laughs> some and not others. <laughs> but but I'm I, I am definitely still very close connected to to you know people who have been in the space with me for a long time, because we have seen you know collaborated and 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 shared the ups and downs more. So I, I do have definitely a, a little bit of a fable for, for people who have been with me for a long time. Gotcha. And if, if you were to look across, I guess, the punk community, do you have any favorite punks that come to mind? Many. Um, if I would have to pick, I guess there's two which I find interesting on that point. It's, it's one is definitely Token Angels for me. You know, he's surprisingly underrated collector and patron. You know, a lot of, a lot of, he has been influential in many, many ways. And yet nobody talks about him. <laughs> he's sort of you a know? mysterious character, right? Like he'll, he'll tweet a few things and it's sort of completely anon, but you, you have a look at the, some of the things that he's tweeting. He's got some amazing collections and a real eye for art. Real eye for art. And I think what I, what I appreciated is just given the influence he could have have you know like which which he could have claimed or or the influence he could have taken he put it always you know or you know in a way that was good for the space you know i i i think one of his huge contribution was really bringing rare pepes on the map more than a lot of other people just by you know being so pivotal with with bringing them to this to this auction you know like and and ending up being the highest selling lot on a, on a you know traditional auction house a rare pepe which was you know in the in the still at the end of the greenwashing period the period which you know is is kind of where where a lot of people in ethereum wanted to remove rare pepes from the history because of their political connotation in north yeah. america you know in, in in that period you know that was a very very pivotal pivotal step into bringing it back on the map and i think patronage was with other artists and and more like as a collaborator other than somebody that you know tries to influence things i think is was very interesting one person which is also very worth mentioning for me is definitely uh, snowfro you know i think other than all his contributions for generative art you know i think he was also pivotal in bringing the punks on chain right and funny i think um a few years ago i run I, I spoke with him at nft nyc and it was it was it was such a interesting moment because we knew each other from crypto voxels you know and uh <laughs> and, and he told me that my gallery was one of the first art galleries he saw in crypto boxes which was so funny to think you know that that people actually paid attention back then you know when when it was such a niche of a niche of a niche with just so few people yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, Snowfro has always been a favorite. Um, but you're right. To, to feel like Token Angels is sort of like an unsung hero. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people speak of him, um, and he probably keeps to himself a little bit too. Would, would you know much about him and much of his background? Like, is he from the traditional art world or without giving too much away if he wants to sort of stay anonymous, of course? Yeah, but. I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say anything which would make him uncomfortable. Like, I, I, I had the chance to meet him last year for the first time after chatting and speaking with him for many years, uh, which was a very, very great and positive experience. So I wouldn't, wouldn't want to maybe say something yeah, gotcha. which, which would make him comfortable. But <laughs> hey, maybe you want to get him on the podcast. I think that might be an interesting chat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll try and do that. And, and if you had to describe punk culture in a few words for you, like how would you describe that? I, I would have to basically say that I have not been very involved in the punk community before, right? So I would have to approach it more from an observer or for somebody who, you know, is is basically looking at it from the sidelines than necessarily being like, you know, an active, long-standing member in it. Um, But I would definitely look for, you know, like a, a group of you know, some sort of like-minded, supportive people who are, you know, some sort of risk takers and approach that with an interesting mix of like fun and seriousness. I don't know if, if that's what you're going for, but I think I... I yeah, no, I think... <laughs> No, no, it's okay. I, I think that's probably right on. I think um, risk takers is a is, is a good way to uh, to talk about the culture of punks. I think most of us are generally sort of nerdy and curious about the space. Yeah. And it's not too dissimilar for for what other punks have sort of said about uh, punk culture too. And um, I'm not sure if you're if you're deep into V1 punks, but I'd love to sort of get your take on you know V1 punks. So V1 punks, I guess there's two two layers to it for me, right? I mean, one is from the perspective of art, and from a perspective of an artist, right? So do I relate to an artist is owning basically something right like do i do, can i relate to that fact that somebody would like to not be associated with it anymore or saying that this is no longer valid and this is the answer is definitely yes i i can relate to that um at the same time as a you know as somebody who spent a lot of time documenting and researching and, and you know, timestamps and, and all sorts of documentation, I still feel that, you know, there is some sort of milestone aspect to the V1 punks for me, that even in its imperfection or flaws, there is something there for me, which is one step which led to the punks as we know it today, to just bring back the idea of this, you know, staircase of crypto art i guess the element for me which which was a bit surprising or or disappointing was i guess the way larva labs necessarily handled v1 right from from on the one hand selling still v1s and then basically saying it's not legit so i can relate that the community was very strong responding to that so I guess it's kind of a mixed bag for me, you know, like I, I definitely see there's something for me there, which is essential and important. It is something which I also understand that, you know, Matt and John don't want to be encouraging, you know, but it is, it is something which, which is also controversial and leads to discussions. So I think this is also healthy. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think uh, I think you hit the points on, on the nose, so I uh, probably agree with uh, all of those points you made. It is definitely a mixed bag, um, but also at the same time, it keeps the punk story interesting, right? And attention on punks um, and that conversation keeping going and discourse going for for the long term, right? Um, um, yeah, so which is which is also seen as a positive thing. And, and, and how do you feel about the Yuga acquisition when that happened? I was disappointed. I was disappointed. I think why? <laughs> um, well, you know, I think at that stage, you know, CryptoPunks achieved already some sort of status, which was, you know, they, they basically made already their point or, or their mark in the history for me, right? Um, punk was like uh, highly acknowledged, already exhibited in, in traditional 
art settings exhibited projects. Um, it has led to some sort of, you know, volume or, or fortune, which was considerable, I guess. And I understand that, you know, as the V1 controversy led to a very, very difficult environment for Larva Labs for it to be interested in maybe. But for me, I would have really appreciated it in a form of either a DAO or like saying, you know what, it is, it is the community which helps shaped us this project. We're going to give it back to the community as like, you know, giving away the IP, for instance, to the community or something and saying like, we are no longer maintaining it. We're no longer taking care of it. But, you know, for the good, the bad and the ugly, we're giving it back to the community, which helped shaping it and making it stand out so much in the past years. So for me, Yuga Labs is, is a project. It's not an artwork. So in that regard, for me, it was a step away from art, going into something which is more like, you know, a commercial avenue, uh, a marketing avenue. And in that regard, I found it sad. Yeah, makes sense. And I think um, a few punks uh, share that sentiment as well. Uh, especially, to actually, Token Angels is quite vocal about that um, when it sort of came out too. That's cool. Uh, and sort of the last question for you, if you could pass on a message to the next owner of your punk, 5324, what would you like to say to them? That is an interesting question. I think <laughs> I think I can, can imagine several scenarios from like, you know, lucky bastard you probably hacked me to <laughs> to maybe just being extremely grateful and thanking them because maybe that's one day the the one step which allows me to focus and going full-time into art i guess if i look at the pieces i've collected the, the punk is definitely not something which i would like to part if i can avoid it but i guess if i would have you know the knife on my chest and and seeing like okay that departure would allow me to really go comfortably into being a full-time artist, something I've been working on for over 10 years. I guess it's always situational, right? So maybe maybe I will be saying like, hey, I, I appreciated this piece of history and I hope so do you. Perfect, beautiful. Well, Martin, um, thank you so much for joining Punkcast. Uh, this is a fun episode to do with you and love sort of unpacking your story and and uh, hearing your takes on art and, and how OG you were sort of in the space. And, um, it's, you know, for me, it's always great to hear purist artists like yourself, you know, uh, being part of the punk community, because I think it says a lot about punks themselves too, right? Um, if uh, artists are choosing punks as, uh, as a collection of their choice as well. But, um, but yeah, lovely sort of meeting you and um, look forward to seeing your uh, generative art block drop soon. Um, any final, I guess, uh, closing comments and, um, you know, what's the best place for people to find you? Yeah, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. I've listened to several of these podcasts trying to, you know, piece together and, and get a little bit behind the scene of, of people I've been following closely or less closely. Um, so it's very exciting to kind of you know, get a little bit of a head start on a couple of people, which I hope to meet. And people can find me on my domain, mlo.art, which is also my Twitter, Instagram, what's so on, the dot is in social media spelled out. So it's M-L-O-D-O-T-A-R-T. Thanks again, Martin. And guys, uh, that wraps up another episode of Punkcast for the week. And we'll be back next week with another punk. Bye for now. <laughs>